Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 27th March. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, six months suspended animation is national suicide. To combat the virus and economic crisis, throw everything into healthcare mobilisation and transform the economy into a productive powerhouse. Now, Elisa, before we begin, um, viewers might notice that we're not exactly practicing social distancing here. Uh, if you aren't aware, Elisa and I are married, so there's, there's an exception to the rule. If we weren't, we would be practicing social distancing. That might clear it up for some, some viewers. We do think people should be practicing social distancing, right? Absolutely. So that's why there's an exception, though. And we'll talk about that a lot on the show. Uh, but what we want to lead with today is that we are in, obviously, in a period of unprecedented crisis. However, it is also a period of immense opportunity for policy change and to uh, overthrow 30 to 40 years of economic ideology that has been disastrous. And, and, it's, and we're watching people's views of economics change in front of our eyes. Yes. Now, governments uh, clearly have not moved fast enough despite all the warnings we've had from overseas and the impact that coronavirus is having in various nations. However, you can see this shift that we're talking about reflected in the fact that all of a sudden we have, for instance, an industry minister, Karen Andrews, who's suddenly shaping an industry policy. Yeah. Who would have thought that a couple of months ago? Working with business, with industry across the country to launch a manufacturing blitz. Again, who would have thought? Things like ventilators and masks, and we'll talk more about those details later. The Ford factory up here north of us in Campbellfield shut down last year. Now a section's reopening to make ventilators. Yeah. Now we need this to apply also across agriculture for the need for food security, energy and other utilities, infrastructure, new infrastructure, uh, communications technologies, things that are going to be vital in this period. And the model, uh, which you can read more about in this week's Australian Alert Service for that, is during World War II, what the head of BHP, Essington Lewis, was brought in by the government to do. He became the Director General of Munitions, but he was given extraordinary powers to commandeer whatever was necessary to ramp up the economy to defend ourselves in the war and that meant he could spend large sums of money without ministerial approval, he could by bypass the red tape, things like tender processes, he could acquire the land necessary, the resources, he could delegate those powers as well to other people. Uh, now we have the government having announced a coordination commission for the coronavirus, we'll talk more about that and look more about that and the capabilities that that should have. Um, now, there's also this financial side to this crisis and obviously the mass layoffs that are taking place. And we will go through later in the show the measures to protect people's immediate livelihood that we need to take, but also the massive investment into the economy and infrastructure which can put people immediately back to work, again, cutting a lot of the red tape that's usually in that process. So our program to get through this crisis involves, one, immediate measures to stop the virus. We'll talk about Punch that in, kill it. in detail. Secondly, boost the healthcare system. Three, safeguard the people financially. And four, launch 
emergency economic reconstruction immediately. Elisa, the viewers have to understand that what we're saying is predicated on this idea that we should be looking at this and the measures needed in a very short-term way, right? Um, the Prime Minister is scaring people to death by saying, oh, you, know, you don't want me to lock down, don't be careful what you wish for because that's going to last six months. That whole approach is national suicide. The gold standard response so far to this pandemic has been South Korea's. While we sat on our hands and looked at what was happening in Wuhan, they kicked into gear. So they were ready with this incredible testing program that's allowed them to see where the virus is, contain it and let the economy continue to function, right? We don't have the capacity to do that. It's gearing up now. But if we predicate what we're doing on, okay, what time do we need? How many weeks, three, four, five weeks to be able to gear up to that capacity in which, yes, you must have a lockdown, but you make it short and sharp. You, you, you summon the resources um, to make that work, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but you have that short, sharp lockdown with a view to um, uh, you know, getting the economy going again, but in a way where we can contain the virus, right? And so that's what we'll, we'll talk about. What we're going to be, what we're asking people to do at this time, right, with what we say, and we put out releases about this, we need to get this into all levels of government, right? So a lot of people, a lot of viewers, regular viewers have been helping us with the bail-in fight and the cash ban, et cetera, and they're used to contacting politicians. Send this material that we're issuing to politicians, but not just politicians. You need to be talking to your local councillors. You need to be talking to trade unions, right? Leadership, um, if you're involved in trade unions or even if you're not, look for institutional leadership around the country and get this discussion going because that can percolate up, actually, right? And we can... And, and um, uh, at a time like this, these ideas can be adopted, right? So that's what people, don't just look, passively absorb this material, help us act on it by sharing it as widely as possible, including this show. And by the time most of you are watching this show, you'll be able to go to our website to get a copy of our petition calling for a national bank to fund the investment that we're calling for. So do that, circulate it widely. We'll be right back to discuss the details after this break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report where we're discussing the fact that we can't have some elongated shutdown of the economy. We have to gear it up. Uh, firstly, we want to talk about the healthcare aspect of that. So throw everything into healthcare mobilisation. And I must say, Lisa, what we're about to go through is um, actually has some good components to it in terms of initiatives already starting, which should be applauded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it has been somewhat slow, but it is gearing up now. Um, but I want to go through various elements which we discussed in a press release that we put out on Tuesday. You can look that up on our site for the details and there's been more of course since then it's de developing all the time. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, the gold standard is South Korea. They've had uh, less than a 1% death rate but they have 12.1 beds per thousand hospital beds and they have an extensive regime of testing and tracking all the cases and, you know, locking them down. Now, our government is trying to claim that per capita we're doing even better, but if you, look at, if you look at the footage that we'll be playing, people can see now, I mean, South Korea just really um, geared up to make sure they had all this infrastructure available, mm -hmm. outside testing. They even got these equivalent of phone booths that you can see the footage of there with persons on the other side of a plastic sheet and getting tested, etc. right? And they've really, it's been very successful in containing the virus. They saw what was happening in Wuhan. 
and they got that into, into place straight away, whereas we just sat there and talked about China, mm -hmm. right? And then suddenly we're wondering, why is this happening to us? Now, a couple of weeks ago, five, more than 5,000 doctors now signed onto this open letter demanding the government take more serious action. And I want to play a video now, um, which came out on Sky News yesterday, of various doctors pleading with the government for a full lockdown. Hi, I'm Andrew Miller. I'm the president of the AMA and WA, and I'm calling on the government and all the people to jump on the brakes, this virus is out of control and we've really got to stop it to avoid a lot of unnecessary deaths, uh, not only of healthcare workers, but also of people uh, out there in the community. So we'd really want people to stay home and for the government, please, to impose lockdown till we've got this under control. We know that people will understand. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick Talley. I'm a doctor. I'm a researcher. I'm a laureate professor at the University of Newcastle and I'm Editor-in-Chief of the Medical Journal of Australia. I think uh, you need to look after yourself and your family and to look after yourself and your family. This includes, if you get any cold or flu symptoms, to self-isolate because you might have this COVID virus, although most won't. And if you do, you might spread it within the family. And of course, if you go outside of the family to others, and this has to be stopped if at all possible. Doing all of this will make a difference and I know we'll all work together to do all we can in this emergency. My name is Dr Kate Ahmed. I'm a neurologist in Sydney, and I'm calling for an immediate lockdown to try and control the coronavirus pandemic while we still have time. I'm terrified that increasing cases are going to overwhelm our hospitals and that we're going to have to make terrible triage decisions and that people will not get the care that they need. Please help us by staying at home. Even if the government has not mandated a lockdown yet, stay at home. It may save your life and it may save somebody else's. Now, Lisa, there's some scepticism in the community about how serious this virus is compared to the normal flu, etc. And I understand people, you know, have lost a lot of trust in governments and they are sceptical. The problem is that what those motivating those doctors is the feedback, especially from Italy, um, the healthcare system is overwhelmed. That's the bottom line, yep. right? And that can't be faked. And that's why they're taking it seriously and we should take it seriously. Yeah. Now, Australia, in 1977, we had 8.1 beds per thousand. We now have 3.8. So that is a serious problem uh, compared to countries like South Korea, Japan, etc., that have dealt with it very well. Now, we can nationalise private hospitals. We can build new hospitals or expand existing ones um, bringing in field hospitals, converting other units or buildings into hospitals rather than building entire new edifices. And for instance, we've just heard that Jeff's Shed is going to be utilised here in Melbourne. Jeff's Shed is what is the name of the Victorian Exhibition Building here in Melbourne, which is this great big building next to Crown Casino. Jeff Kennett shut down so much public health when he was um, Premier here in order to pay down debt but he built these monuments to excess on the Yarra. One was Crown Casino, one was this massive exhibition building. So now, ironically, all these years later, the exhibition building has to be brought back into the public healthcare infrastructure. So that's good, but um, intensive care units, of course, with ventilators for breathing assistance is what's critical, and we'll put up a graphic here which shows we have only 2,229 total ICU beds in the in the whole country, we could need at the higher end of estimates 50,000 beds and in fact reports coming out today suggest because a lot of ICU beds are already being utilised, existing capacity could be exhausted even by the end of next week. 
Now, um, the existing, through the existing system of other ventilators we have available, uh, the ICU bed capacity can be increased to about 5,000. Secondly, there is a push to get 10,000 new ventilators into the system. Uh, Health Minister Greg Hunt announced in Parliament on Monday 1,000 have been ordered from overseas. And Alan Finkel, the Chief Scientist, has been put in charge of coordinating a drive to locally produce another 5,000 ventilators. Now, we do have one uh, facility here in Melbourne which produces ventilators, that's ResMed, which also produces your sleep apnea machines and is a world leader in that. They will work to double or triple ventilator output and scale up production of ventilator masks and things like that. Now, Bill Shorten in Parliament on Monday a Labor MP had said he was inundated with offers from manufacturers who have the capability and the capacity to build urgently required equipment such as ventilators. Victoria actually has uh, machines in transit because last year they had put together a medical equipment replacement program funded through the budget with $60 million, so there's some there. And on the 19th of March, Victoria announced a further $437 million for new equipment, including non-invasive ventilators, hospital beds and other things. Now, one of the things about Victoria, actually, is that if it really comes to a crunch, uh, because Victoria signed on to China's Belt and Road Initiative, there is a possibility that we can make the call for assistance from China. Now, and we'll put up some video in the background because China is actually helping 82 countries at the moment and the African Union. Um, Russia has rolled out a huge amount of support to Italy as well. So this kind of spirit of cooperation is actually going to be crucial. And because... Cuba is sending doctors all around the world. All the bad countries, Elisa, are mm. putting their money where their mouth is and helping. And all the good countries, the United States is now going around the world using its diplomats to, in their embassies to ask for help for them. Mm. And because China um, had the virus first, they are beginning to, you know, reduce the number of cases in China on the mainland. They've actually had, uh, out of eight days, six reporting days where there were no new cases apart from ones being brought in from overseas. Um, so they're beginning to lift. They've already um, opened the borders to Hubei province where it began and the lockdown is set to be lifted on the 8th of April in that region. But outside of Hubei, they've actually recommenced work on 98% of big infrastructure schemes despite labour shortages and supply chain delays. They see the urgency to get the economy cranked up again to help the rest of the world apart from anything else. Um, now, there's other innovative ideas that we're seeing coming forward. The 3D printers being used yep. to produce um, valves for ventilators and entire ventilators. There's one project coming out of Ireland where um, it's going to be open source uh, facilities for mass production of ventilators that will be shared worldwide. You've got a Canadian doctor who's converted one ventilator into nine using adapters. I mean, this is a period in where we have to utilise whatever we can. Medical staff are urgently being trained up, but we need to buy them time with the lockdowns and strengthening those lockdowns. Personal protective equipment is a very, very short supply, but tens of millions are on their way or have already arrived, and production in Australia is ramping up, as we talked about on the show last week. Testing kits, there's hundreds of thousands of those already arrived, more on their way. Um, and there's more we could say, such as renationalising CSL, for instance. Well, just CSL's briefly. our world-class company up, again, just north of us here. 
it should be it should be deployed massively to produce testing kits because that's what you need. And it, whatever excess capacity we have, we can send around the world because they need it. Now we have to take a break. We're right back to discuss the economic financial aspect. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing transform the economy into a productive powerhouse. So let me do this bit, Lisa, because I did the work on this, you did the work on the healthcare uh, research. The, the main thing is our productive capacity has been shot to ribbons, right? So we have to gear that up to make this mobilize, healthcare mobilisation work. Plus, we have to gear it up in such a way that this becomes the new normal. We need to go back to having a productive capacity, right? And so there's specific things to do about the healthcare crisis, and then there's more long-term things and issues to act on now, such as a national bank that can provide the kind of investment that we need, right? Um, so one of the things you've got to have is, is uh, an idea of what essential workers are. Because if you have a lockdown, even for, you know, again, it's all predicated on a short-term lockdown just to, just to um, buy time. But if you, have a, if you have a lockdown, you've still got to have essential workers out there making sure everything works. And um, some of that's happening, but I'll give you an example of what's not happening. For instance, Coles and Woolworths with the panic buying shut down their food delivery services and they haven't started them up again. And that is nuts, right? Um, there's a lot of other food. We personally have been trying to get onto food delivery services for our personal situation, and they're overwhelmed. There's too big a queue. This is the sort of thing that, uh, that going to the World War II example, a, 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 someone like the Director General of Munitions, Essington Lewis, has an oversight and say, we need to get people into these roles. So you've got all these queues of people risking coronavirus outside Centrelink, right? There needs to be something more proactive to say, listen, every essential worker sign up here. Mm. The Victorian state government has actually acted on that a little bit, right? And so you'll see some footage there. They called for people to do everything from packaging food deliveries and cleaning public transport because mm. you can't, you know, unless you get really extreme like Wuhan, you, you can't shut public transport down, but you can clean it and disinfect it a lot. You need people to do those sort of things. You need to make sure that the supply lines are continuous all, of all important areas from the food from the farm to the to the supermarket and to the restaurants and to the takeaway services etc and we need right? to employ a lot of people testing the workers that are going to work as exactly. well exactly there's a there will need to be a huge number of short term employees for the government do, doing that right and so you don't have to think in this in terms of oh everyone's you know there's three point there's there's 3.2 million people trying to use Centrelink now that weren't trying to use it last week. That's the, that's the figure of, of what we're dealing with with unemployment. That, that's an army to deploy, right? Not all of them are going to be able to be deployed, but the fit, healthy ones, that's an army to deploy. And that's where the, the authorities should be thinking this. Do not think, oh, the free market will take care mm. of it. No, it won't. Now, in the, again, predicating on a short-term lockdown, you need to have some... You know, um, what are the financial flows through to things like rents and, and uh, mortgages, et cetera, that you can, that you can um, suspend for a while, put into hibernation, put the economy into hibernation, which is a concept I've been discussing with Dr. Peter Branson of Bank Reform now, right? Um, and that requires, that will require the government making certain decisions with the, with the, with the, um, uh, with the banks, et cetera, giving tax breaks to, to landlords, um, giving, uh, give, letting landlords know that if they're really reliant on the rent, there's things they can do. But, it, but you can make it work if it's predicated short term because you're doing the other things. That, that, that's our view of it. Um, but in this, in this situation, some of the assistance has to involve, you've got to do other things as well. 
people are going to be using their credit cards. The banks should be ordered to lower those credit card interest rates straight away. That's, that's, that's been a, a problem for a long time anyway, right? Um, freeze the debt payments. Now, how do you approach the financial system at a time like this, though? Because there is also a, a financial crisis. We approach it from the standpoint of what we call the Glass-Steagall principle, right? What's real that serves the real economy? What's fluff? The government should be concentrating on what's real. That's what you protect people's deposits, the, the services for, for the real economy. The fluff stuff, the government has no responsibility to look after that, right? And, we, and if it goes, it goes. And what you need to... It, this, this, would have, this, this would have and should have happened anyway without coronavirus. At a certain point, banks were going to be in this crisis, right? And we've advocated a form of Chapter 11, US-style Chapter 11 bankruptcy where the government takes over the banks, sorts out their books, writes down their debts. For instance, you need to have a foreclosure on, on a moratorium on all foreclosures at this time, right? Homes, farms, small businesses, etc. Um, and for the homes especially, house prices probably will start collapsing. Those debts have to be written down to match the new house prices, right? You, and the best way to do this is with a national bank. And I want to play two clips now, which, which are quite key. One is, this is what Malcolm Roberts said in a very good presentation in Parliament on Monday, Senator Malcolm Roberts, uh, on, on what coronavirus action should be. And in the middle of it, he called for this, and he's dead right. So let me take that a step further. It is One Nation policy to create a, bank, a people's bank to give the big four banks some real competition in the areas in which they are complete failures. Failures? in talking about honesty and integrity and accountability. A People's Bank would be really handy right now. Let me take, turn to the one thing that is missing from this package, and that is simply the future. Can this government really only think a few months ahead? Where is the vision in this rescue package? Why are we not getting cracking today on nation-building schemes to create new productive capacity to power this nation to a future, to create fresh wealth for everyday Australians? Where is the Bradfield scheme? Where are the dams, the power stations, the ports and airports? Where are the railways to, place, to places that need them? Now, we have legislation for a national bank, Elisa, that can do that, and we're in dialogue with members of parliament pushing it, right? What's interesting, though, is this crisis is making people see the need for real investment. I want to play one clip from Sky News yesterday. Uh, Evan Lucas, um, from, who's a commentator, he said this about how everything changes based on this crisis. That there needs to be much, much greater fiscal input. There needs to be much better productivity and that therefore probably will mean there will be a debate in the future from my perspective anyway about industry super and whether or not industry super can be used to actually fund projects that need funding. And that will be the debate over the next sort of two to three years after this all finishes and we get to normalisation. So mm. that's the long and short in terms of how I look at it, Laura. Fiscal policy will have changed forever and it will certainly come in the short term as what we've got but also structural changes are definitely going to come from the back of this. So if super industries will be required to be more cautious given how much retirees have lost in recent weeks? Or are you talking about something? Partly. I think it will be more around the idea that, look, if you look at an industry super fund, when we talk about this, the diversification in your super is huge. It's not just equities. It's across an absolute plethora of asset classes, about seven. So things like private equity. It also means that government projects can be part of this. The infrastructure spending that we currently have in this country, although it's been done through and funded over the next seven years through you know, Australian debt, super funds would actually be part of that. You've got an actual nest egg sitting there that if you were to offer them a 2.5% bond over 30 years for infrastructure projects that should be built, mm. they would jump at that chance. It's very, very solid, solid return 
which is technically risk-free because it's going to be backed by the government. So it also, therefore, is a perpetual back into you as a super fund holder because you now have guaranteed income into your super fund. You now actually are producing productivity for the country. There's benefits to it, and then infrastructure bonds and things like that clearly are something that you could be looking at in the future. Now, instead of waiting, though, for a proper national bank, we already have the Clean Energy Finance Corporation there, which is a government bank right now. The government could repurpose and recapitalise for this. So we'll have the petition for a national bank. Sign it and share it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Elisa. Join us again next week. Mm -hmm.